here we are, we gather here, frail and unsure, we will sing your praise. Jesus just keeps showing up places. And when Jesus does show up, things change. And here's the thing, they never stop changing. If you don't throw Jesus out or over, just get rid of him somehow, things will change, and change is at least unsettling, if not downright frightening. For the last couple of weeks, Pastor Natalia and I have been working our way through the fourth chapter uh, passages in Luke's Gospel, whereby Jesus had traveled to his hometown after having had some uh, really miraculous experiences out there, healing and teaching and preaching. He decided uh, to, to go to his hometown of Nazareth, and there he attended worship as would have been his custom at the hometown synagogue where he was given the honor, the privilege of reading from the uh, scroll of the prophet Isaiah after which he preached and everybody was saying, boy, uh, isn't this something? Isn't he, isn't that Joseph's kid from down the way? Very impressed were they until uh, he got to a certain point in the message and started to, things started to turn and by the end of the passage, uh, they had become so enraged they they dragged jesus to the edge of town and were planning to throw him from a cliff to be rid of him altogether Uh, after that as we continue in luke's gospel uh, jesus just stays on the move continuing to share the good news of god's kingdom and bringing peace and healing to all kinds of needy people along the way so even though things got off to this really rocky start to to put it mildly in nazareth as the story continues it's clear now uh, that jesus can still draw a crowd Uh, only now there's at least a bit of suspense right because is he going to get a similar reaction as he got back in his hometown Uh, is he going to survive the next reaction if if his preaching is going to so enrage people um, so at least at this point, Luke's gospel, Jesus has gone down to sea level. He's along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The cliffs surrounding the lake are far above, so at least uh, that threat is gone. It looks like Jesus was initially just trying to get away for some recovery time, some prayer time, some peace and quiet. But the crowds of desperate people track him down, find him there on the shores of the lake, uh, and so many of them do so that there's not even room for him to speak to them. You can imagine standing on the, on the shoreline, kind of with the, pinned up against the water, that you're, if you're going to try to address this big crowd which extends far back on the shores, you're not going to be able to really speak to anybody except for those who are right in front of you as the crowd, we are told, is pressing in. The fourth chapter of Luke ends like this. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, uh, they tried to keep him from leaving them, which is just such an interesting uh, contrast to the the last story we looked at when, you know, when he was done speaking, they decided they would get rid of him 
forever, right? Throw them from a cliff. But here, uh, they were trying to keep Jesus from leaving them, but Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So hear that. What's Jesus doing out there? I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Good news of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus proclaimed always and everywhere. The good news that God's kingdom is spilling over even the religious boundaries and national boundaries of Israel. Good news that will never be defined or contained within any one nation or any one faith tradition even. This fact alone is heard as a threat to many people. The fact that, well, just anybody can, can, can be included among God's people, even if they worship differently on some mountain in some foreign land, or what if they don't worship at all? But Jesus pushes the point well beyond even that. He makes clear that in that sermon in his hometown, that God's healing presence has never been the possession of any one people, Right? And in that sermon, Jesus doesn't use a creative illustration. He doesn't talk about some guy he knew that lived down the road from his dad's carpentry shop there in Nazareth. Uh, Jesus simply reminds the people at worship there on that day of stories from their own holy scriptures where God was present in the lives of people that they considered their enemies. Huh? In the lives of a, of a, a Syrian commander, in the live, lives of a, of, of a widow and her dying son in Zarephath. Uh, they were, they were, and, and Jesus presses the point that the, the, the hometown congregation is not only responsible to reach out to their neighbors, they were being called to understand that this kingdom included people that they hated. And people who hated them in return. And Jesus isn't even going to stop there. He's going to call on people to pray for their enemies. And that was really more than the longtime members of the hometown community of faith could take. So they decided, we need to get rid of this guy. But Jesus continued proclaiming the good news. He walked through the middle of that enraged crowd on that day and continued on his way. And the rest of the fourth chapter of Luke is filled with Jesus bringing peace and healing uh, and reaching out to all kinds of needy people along the way. So now as we enter the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus is not done preaching. He's not done proclaiming this good news of the kingdom being at hand. But he does appear to be done with established communities of faith for a little while. I mean, done with church councils and, and local traditions and, you know, printed worship liturgies and, and set worship times, worship at 9 and 10.30, all that, that stuff. Today we find Jesus sharing, proclaiming, preaching this good news out on the shores of Lake Gennesaret the Sea of Galilee. It sounds like it would have taken a pretty huge facility had there even been one to, to contain all of the people who were there that day to hear, we are told from Luke, the word of God. So Jesus 
he sees uh, Simon's boat there. They had just returned from a very unfruitful night of fishing. So he hops in the boat, asks Simon to push off a bit, and from the boat uh, he begins to address, to preach, to proclaim to the crowds there pressed in around them on the, on the seashore. This is not a picture of a church that is really in control, right? This is a bit chaotic. And, you know, every Monday we gather as a staff back in the office and we go over together the weekend worship services, what, what seemed to work well, what, what are some things we maybe could work on uh, to improve things. We take a look at the couple of weeks forward, what, what's coming up in the, in the church schedules, Bible study, group life, council meeting, uh, you know, quilters, on Wednesday, and men's work group and worship and 9 and 10.30 and Sunday. And sometimes there's a funeral in there, sometimes a, a wedding as there has been of recent and an annual meeting. Whatever the case might be, the image, however, we get as we move into this fifth chapter of Luke is not one of a lot of preparation and planning, right? Uh, Jesus stays on the move and everyone else is just doing everything he can to try and keep up with him. After he finishes preaching to the crowds there on the lakeshore, Jesus says to Simon, put out into the deep water. Simon, put out and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, um, Master, we have worked all night. We've worked all night long but have caught nothing. I know there's more than a few of us uh, who do some fishing. And uh, if you fish, you know that fish, sometimes they're biting, a lot of times they're not, right? They seem to be on their own kind of schedule, feeding schedule, in fact. I, uh, I shared this morning, uh, last year we got onto a group of crappies up north uh, on a lake that we rarely ever catch any crappies. And these were just slabs. They were beasts and we were pulling them in at a pretty good Pace and uh, it was myself, my brother-in-laws, and a couple of friends who had, hadn't been up there before. And then we started to get calls from, you know, the cabin. It's time to get back for dinner. Dinner's ready. And the, the friends are like, yeah, we better go. But myself and my brother-in-laws are like, not until the crappie stop biting, you know. We're not going anywhere. I mean, you don't know. This is, fishing isn't always like this, you know. Uh, well, we succumbed to the pressure eventually, and we went back in. Just a quick, we you know. 20 minutes we were back on the same spot we could see the crappies and the fish finder they're all still there but they wouldn't touch the bait at that point they had stopped feeding it's only slightly related to my message but that rant feels better every 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 time i do it um so here we have the disciples trying to gently tell jesus uh we were just out there all night and they're not biting. Uh, look, Jesus, we don't know much about how to organize this incredible movement you have started. We won't know how to keep these crowds fed with a couple loaves of bread and hopefully a few fish when the time comes. We don't know how to deal with the important religious leaders and all of their degrees and authority and their flowing robes. We're not going to know how to deal with those guys, Jesus. But we do know how to fish, Lord. And we know when to fish. And putting out our nets at this time of the day in the deep water you're kind of pointing to there, Jesus. 
uh, that's not how we normally do things. Uh, we've never done it that way before. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long but have caught nothing. I just want to pause here and say that I think so much of the church today is stuck in this kind of very refrain. We know how we've been successful in the past. We know how to run a three-week themed stewardship campaign. You know, we know how to get the posters together and the magnets and schedule the temple talks and have the luncheon at the end of it. We know how to worship. We know how a service should be ordered and which songs to be sung and, and which instruments we ought to use. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long but have caught nothing yet, and I love this part, if you say so, what do you think of whenever anybody you're in a discussion with somebody, maybe especially one of your kids, right? And you're not really in complete agreement. If they say, if you say so, does that generally mean they're, they've, they're taking your position? No. I, I prob, I'm just thinking it probably didn't way back then either. So Simon says, if you, oh, if you say so, I don't, we can't know exactly how he said it, but my mind this morning, he said it like that. Well, if you say so, you know, sort of like that. That's just me. I could be wrong. Uh, when they had, uh, if you say so, I will let down the nets. So Simon's, I'm thinking Simon's thinking he's gently going to teach Jesus a little something about fishing. It's, a lot of us know about fishing. You don't go in for dinner when you're hot on, a, on crappies, right? <laughs> Did I make that point earlier? Okay. And so... Uh, I've lost my place now. So did so. so oh, so, so when when they had done this, uh, they they caught so many fish that their nets their nets began to break. And I have to believe so did their limited ideas. Later in the same fifth chapter of Luke, Jesus will say. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. New wine for new wineskins. These new followers who would soon become the disciples listened to Jesus and they broke out of their old tried and true methods of fishing and there were more fish than their traditional equipment could hold. The abundance extended well beyond their physical means to measure it or contain it. I always think it's also worth noticing here that Jesus doesn't seem to spend a lot of time waiting around for invitations to show up somewhere. Jesus decided that it was time to go back after creating quite a stir out there to go back to his hometown and preach in his hometown synagogue. So he showed up and at the end of that, they decided they should throw him from a cliff. Later, Jesus will decide to go to the Holy Temple in Jerusalem where he will end up overturning the tables of the money changers and they will wonder and they will, and they will, they will, they will yell, oh, who, who gives this 
man his authority? Who actually does he think he is? And, and now we're about to enter a period where Jesus starts to call the disciples. And each of them were just going about their own business when Jesus shows up and throws their very predictable lives into unimaginable turmoil. Jesus just keeps showing up places. And when Jesus does show up, things change. And here's the thing. They never stop changing. If you don't throw Jesus out or over, just get rid of him somehow, things will change. And change is at least unsettling, if not downright frightening. Maybe that's why Jesus is so often heard saying, as he is in this gospel reading from the beginning of Luke's fifth chapter, do not be afraid. Jesus found ways to take his message into the very heart of where people were living and working and playing. And he spoke from whatever platform he could find. And and he calls and sends his followers to do the same. And I think this kind of push outward, this, this outreach mandate is clearly something that the church continues to struggle with in our day. In this fast-paced and ever-changing world, we all have a natural human desire for some stability in our lives. So it makes sense that we tend to build our churches on solid foundations, most of our churches bolt the pews down, right? <laughs> and, and settle into comfortable and comforting traditions. But the church is always reforming and it's always being pushed, sent out with the good news. Called, claimed, forgiven, and sent out with this same message that Jesus proclaims on the shores of Lake Gennesaret. The church is the only organization that I know of that exists to give itself away. We have, therefore, here at Prince of Peace, one group preparing shortly to leave for Jamaica to serve those in need, and another group in beginning preparations to make a visit to our ministry partners in Africa. Others are teaching God's love, even as we sit here now in Sunday school this morning, and more serve as small group leaders and mentors with youth every Wednesday. We have quilters and choirs and volunteer work group and Worship band and office workers and funeral luncheons and prayer team and visitors and group life hosts and ushers. And this is just the beginning of the long list. Grow deep and reach out as our mission. And as a member of my church, it's never about what I want or prefer. It's always about this mission and ministry that we are called to share with the world. When Jesus called, the disciples left everything and and followed him. And there is no doubt that this is a frightening prospect. It's scary when things are happening in our lives that are clearly out of our own control. 
A lot of us probably grew up watching the Saturday morning cartoons, and one of my favorites was always Popeye the Sailor Man. Every episode, Popeye got himself into some great dilemma, right? Some some great travesty, and he had to work his way out of it. But he had this sort of core, central uh, 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 identity that he stood on, and Popeye was always known to use that refrain, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Let's just be reminded. We've got a little clip. See, you're doesn't nostalgia, huh? I mean, everyone found the old school black and white before they went color, you know. Um, in our reading from First Corinthians, Saint Paul says, "Last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit." to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. It should have been too late for Paul, and he knew it. He had persecuted the young church. He stood by and nodded his approval while young Stephen out there sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, including others in it, was while he was preaching, St. Paul stood by and watched the coats of those who were stoning young Stephen to death for proclaiming God's kingdom. And Paul watched their coats and nodded his approval. The idea that there could be forgiveness for someone like Paul was impossible. The thought that he could become a disciple of Jesus was impossible. Yet, Paul writes, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he spent the rest of his adult life establishing churches, living communities of faith in Christ, churches called to extend the reach of God's grace and forgiveness as far as we can reach. And then beyond that, to embrace this most precious gift without ceasing to search for ways to give it away by inviting others into God's expansive kingdom of grace. Because every new person who wanders in here, every new person who accepts an invitation, changes our community and who we are and what we'll become. The one thing that will never change is who God in Christ has declared you to be, sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. And so with Popeye, And St. Paul, you can say, you should say, I am what I am. That's all that I am. A called, claimed, forgiven, precious child of God. Sent out into a world waiting to hear good news from you. Together and send a sound. It's not about who.